stories of the Bible. Zacchaeus. This is Zacchaeus. Hey there. Who was a tax collector and very rich. Tax collectors were hated because many people thought they were liars and cheaters. Boo. <laughs> Zacchaeus lived in Jericho, and one day, Jesus was passing through Jericho. What's going on? Jesus is here! Woohoo! Zacchaeus wanted to see who Jesus was. Hey, excuse me. Hey, watch where you're going. But he was too short to see above the crowd. Oh, that's it. So he ran ahead to a place where he knew Jesus would come. He climbed to a sycamore tree so he could see Jesus. When Jesus came to that place, he looked up and saw Zacchaeus in the tree. Oh, hey there, friend. Who? Me? Yeah, you. He said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. I must stay at your house today. Oh, all right. Zacchaeus came down quickly. He was pleased to have Jesus in his house. All the people saw this and began to complain. Ugh. Look at the kind of man Jesus stays with. Zacchaeus is a sinner. But Zacchaeus said to Jesus, I will give half my money to the poor. If I have cheated anyone, I will pay that person back four times more. Jesus said, Salvation has come to this house today. What? This man truly belongs to the family of Abraham. The son of man came to find lost people and save them. from the story of Zacchaeus in Luke is the parable of the ten menas. This parable can be found in Luke chapter 19 verses 11 to 27. I'll be reading from the New International Version. While they were listening to this, he went out to tell them a parable because it was near Jerusalem. And Jesus and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear once. He said, A man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called the ten of his servants and gave them ten minas. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But the subject hated him and sent a delegation of him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and he, turned, he returned home. Then he sent for the servant to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they have gained with it. The first one came and said, Sir, Domina has had ten more. Well done, my good servant. His master replied, Because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter take charge of ten cities the second came and said sir the miner has hand five more his masters answered you take charge of five cities then another servant came and said sir here is your miner i have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth i was afraid of you because you are a hard man you take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. His, master's, his master replied, I will judge you by your words, you wicked servant. You knew, you, you knew, did you, that I am a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow. Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that, I can, so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest. Then he said to those standing by, Take his mina away from him and give it to one who has ten minas. Sir, they said, He already has ten. He replied, I tell you that everyone who has, more will be given. But as for one who has nothing, even what he has will be taken away. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, Bring them here and kill them in front of me. May God bless the reading of these words.
Good morning. I'm going to shock you all like I shocked my wife yesterday. Put these on. There we go. I can see who I'm preaching to. I don't know. This is my maiden voyage, though, so I may not. This is a bit trippy. Yeah, I can see you back there. Yeah, yeah. We'll see if they last. It's a bit trippy. Um, Well, welcome. I want to express my gratitude to uh, Pastor Chris as well as to uh, Phil Evans, uh, who uh, preached in my absence as we resume this series through Luke's Gospel, uh, The Way of the King uh, is what we are titling it. And I really liked what Pastor Chris had to say when he introduced this series to say that the way of salvation is the way of discipleship, which is the way of the King. Uh, And That is what Luke has been trying to present to us. We come to Luke chapter 19. I'm going to invite you to to open your Bibles, to keep them out. Uh, We'll be looking at verses 1 to 27, which feel like two very different passages, but they are actually related, (laughs) actually connected uh, quite intentionally. uh, And Luke is going to show us how he makes this the case. Uh, But I thought I'd begin with telling you about a time... Uh, that I met a celebrity. My kids asked us at the dinner table the other night, they said, Dad, who's the most famous person you ever met? And I had a story right off the top of my head. I was walking through the lounge of a hotel, I believe it was in Maui, Hawaii, and I was walking through the lounge and I was walking behind my father. I was probably about 15 or 14 years old, and I'm walking and I'm just, you know, following. It's a crowd, you know, probably lost in my own head, as I often am, and I'm walking and all of a sudden, I bump into my dad and I, I see that my dad has come to a sudden stop because he has suddenly stopped because he bumped into somebody else. Well, it turned out that my dad ran into Magic Johnson, who, if you don't know who he is, is one of the most famous NBA basketball players who's ever lived. Uh, some, you know, say top five all time, top 10 for sure. And so here we are, we meet Magic Johnson, and what had happened was we were, uh, apparently they'd been watching the Hula Girls. So my M- Magic was walking with his head this way, and my dad was walking with his head this way. Uh, if you've seen a Hula dance, it can be quite like, wow, I haven't seen that before. Uh, and, and so they, they literally came to a stop and ran into each other. And then Magic turned around and said to my dad, he said, hey, actually, I'm glad I bumped into you. I was planning to go to your room later today, to your hotel room, so that we could have a meal together. No, that's not true. That didn't happen. That, that, that's totally false. And I'm glad only one, a couple people knew where I was going with that, right? No, Magic turned around, looked at my dad and was like, what are you doing? And then walked away. This was our encounter with celebrity. Sort of this dismissive like, huh? What are you, get out of my space sort of way. Imagine though if he would have. Imagine if he would have turned around and said, actually, I'm coming to your room this evening. Let's go. It'd be quite the story, wouldn't it? The stuff that you write books about. We are coming to Luke chapter, uh, Luke chapter 19, and just to sort of recap where we are in the series, uh, the last two sermons have dealt with having an audience with Jesus, and you could construe this in the same way, but, but it's a little, comes to a bit of a finer point. We saw that Jesus has been having these encounters uh, with children, with a rich young ruler. Uh, he has this audience with the disciples where he's trying to explain to them that he's going to go to the cross and die. And then he has this audience with the blind beggar who was told to be quiet, and Jesus said, Actually, no, no, he cried out all the louder and Jesus ended up giving him his sight. Uh, Last week, uh, Phil talked about the importance of listening, believing, and participating. And I really appreciated what he had to say. And I hope you took note of the encouragement he gave to the church to, to be listening to what Jesus has to say to us. So often we get lost in our own head. So often we focus on our thoughts. But God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. They're higher than that. And Jesus, the Word of God, speaks to us in spirit and in truth. And therefore, if we believe as we listen, we can participate in his kingdom. Now, the big picture where we're going today is that this passage shows us that while everyone is going to encounter King Jesus, salvation only comes to those who personally receive him as their king. 
Everyone will encounter King Jesus. But salvation will not come to everyone. Salvation will come only to those who have personally received Jesus as their king. And so we're going to be asking, what does this look like to personally receive him? As we've said, there's sort of two main sections to this passage, verses 1 to 10, as well as verses 11 to 27. Uh, in the first part, we see a sinner hosts King Jesus, and the second, reckoning with the king. So, with that, let's pray and ask God to help us. Father, we are grateful for the scriptures. We pray that as we open them together, that you would speak to us. Lord, we know that we come totally empty-handed. Uh, we, we, Lord, the more we prop ourselves up, the, the farther we have to fall. But Lord, we pray that we would humble ourselves before you this morning, that we would hear what your spirit is saying to us, that we might be changed and renewed and restored. We ask for your strength and grace in doing this. In Christ's name we pray, amen. This is a very personal passage. And I'm gonna encourage you not to be afraid of that. Let God speak to you personally this morning. Because this is all about what happens when Jesus comes to people. And if that makes you tender, that's okay. If that makes you challenged, that's all right. Because Jesus is a good king. And we're going to be talking this morning about how we receive him. The big question is, who then can be saved? Uh, I robbed this out of Luke 18. <laughs> it's not who can be saved, it's who then can be saved. This was the response that the crowd asked when the rich young ruler approached Jesus and said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And after that encounter where the man goes away sad and, and he decides not to take up Jesus on his invitation to follow him, and the disciples look at Jesus and they said, who then can be saved? I mean, this guy looked the part. And Luke's been sort of answering that. Jesus has been answering that for us in picture and in story form. We've seen that children are welcome in Jesus' kingdom. We've seen that beggars and blind people, outsiders, are welcome in Jesus' kingdom. And here as we come to the story of Zacchaeus, the whole thing's going to come together in trying to answer this question, who then can be saved? And the big idea today is that all who receive Jesus as king are saved. All who receive Jesus as king are saved. It's a good question, the suitability and the credibility of those who are a part of the kingdom. I think this is important. You're saved not because you wake up one morning and decide you want to be saved. You could have all the zeal in the world. You could be one of these religious fanatics. That's not going to save you. You can be raised in the right schools, taught by the best theologians, schooled in all the halls of religiosity. You can have a pattern handed down to you from generation to generation to generation to generation. That's not going to save you. Who is able? Who's credible? Who's worthy of being saved? Who can be saved? Now, some people reject the question outright. They say, I don't know why I need to be saved. Saved from what? And to those people, the Bible asks you to open your eyes and to look around and to say, do you really think you were made for this? Do you really think you were created simply to be a somewhat cohesive but dilapidated conglomeration of matter that is breathing oxygen and exhaling carbon dioxide, that is pumping cells and protein through your blood throughout your whole body, is that all that you were made to be until one point you actually cease to be? The Bible says that's not what you were made to be. But it says our condition is desperate, and in a desperate condition, people need to be saved. This is the first time since Luke chapter 2 
where the word salvation is going to be used. It's a callback to Simeon and to Anna looking at the baby Jesus. And we'll see all who receive Jesus as king are saved. Well, turn with me to chapter 19, verse 1, as we look at a sinner who hosts Jesus. Verse, 19, uh, verse 1, chapter 19, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. Jesus comes into Jericho. Jericho is about 20, 20 kilometers away from Jerusalem. Uh, it's, it's on a journey, and uh, it's, it's a town that kind of doesn't have a great reputation. Bands of robbers sort of patrol the road between Jerusalem and Jericho. You have to go down a steep hill. Jericho was the first sort of city that fell when God's people came into Canaan. Uh, Rahab was a part of Jericho. She left Jericho and sort of pledged her allegiance to the kingdom of God. Jericho doesn't have a great reputation, and Jesus is passing through there as he's on his way out. Now, so far, he's encountered the blind beggar on his way in, and he heals the blind beggar, and he gives him his sight. And while he's passing through Jericho, we're told in verse 2, a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. What the NIV has is chief tax collector. You could render as he was a ruler of tax collectors. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short or of little stature, some say it wasn't actually his height that limited him, but it was his, his youth, it was his social standing. But either way, he, he's obstructed by the crowd. He can't see over the crowd. Notice the emphasis on, on, on verbs of sight here. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But he couldn't see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see since Jesus was coming up that way. What a wonderful picture of the persistence of someone who is on a quest to see Jesus. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 says that all who would come to God must come to God in faith because without faith it is impossible to please God. Anyone who seeks God must believe he exists and rewards those who diligently seek him. Faith is seeking. And here Zacchaeus is seeking after Jesus. Verse 5, when he, Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. <laughs> it's a bit like Magic Johnson turning around saying, actually, I must go to your room now. <laughs> I must go stay at your villa. I must come to your bungalow. Just as back then, so it is now. It's not really polite to invite yourself over to somebody's house. <laughs> but the encouragement to us here is that Jesus is happy to receive the hospitality of sinners. I'm going to say that again because I don't know if you really believe this. Jesus is happy to receive the hospitality of sinners. By hospitality, I mean opening up the doors of your house. I'm saying, come on in, sit at the table, don't mind the dirty floors, don't mind the, the dusty cabinets, sit, sit, sit down, let, let, let me give you a glass of water, let me prepare you some snacks, some cheese and crackers, come sit, let's talk a while, come into the space where I live. Jesus is happy to receive the hospitality of sinners, I want to encourage you if that sounds strange, and if you're one of those people who say, no, 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 I can't have you, Jesus. I can't have you in my house. I can't have you in my space. It's too dirty. It's too messy. Give me a chance to clean up. Let's book a date three weeks in advance. Let me get my marriage sorted first. Let me get my, my, my children sort of under wraps. Let me get my, let me finish my work to Jesus. Let, let me get some time to get organized. You're missing the point. Jesus happily receives the hospitality of sinners. The words Jesus used here are words of divine necessity. I must come to your house today. Wow, imagine being Zacchaeus. He was just trying to get a look. 
And now Jesus says, I got to come to your place today. You see, some of us just want to look at Jesus and we're happy in the tree. We're happy with a, with a bird's eye view. I'll take a bird's eye view, God, but, but, but I don't know if I want you in my kitchen. I don't know if I want you in my space. Is that Michael Buster? Look at that. <laughs> Welcome, Michael. Good to see you. Jesus, Jesus is happy to receive the hospitality of sinners. That was a relative who walked through the door that I haven't seen in about 10 years. So I'm patting myself on the back. Sorry, Michael, you don't need all that attention. Um, Jesus says, I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. The scene sort of shifts right now. And in the shifting of the scene, Jesus is now at Zacchaeus' uh, Zacchaeus's house. And, and now we get to hear what the crowds are saying. And the crowds are uh, muttering and they're like, well, what is this guy doing? Why is he going to be the guest of a sinner? This is a refrain that Luke's picked up a few times. Zacchaeus stands up and says to Jesus, I love this. When there's people talking about you, there's people name calling you, people objecting to what God's doing in your life. Look at what Zacchaeus does here. He doesn't direct, he doesn't talk to the crowd. He talks to Jesus and he says, Lord, this is what I'm doing. There's a lesson in that for us. Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody, I have anything, I will pay back four times the amount. By most measures, that's quite excessive. Some of the laws in the Old Testament talk about restitution, and in that restitution, you pay back 20%. Zacchaeus says, I'm going to pay back 400%. 400%. Jesus says to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Wow. Note the connection. Today salvation has come to this house. What did Jesus say earlier to Zacchaeus? Today I must come to your house. Do you see what Luke is doing? The day that Jesus came to his house is the day that salvation came to his house. Don't overcomplicate it, people. Salvation comes to you when Jesus comes to you. Peter would tell the Jews who had yet to believe in Jesus, he would say, there is no other name under heaven by which people can be saved. It has to be Jesus and only Jesus. Salvation comes to your life when Jesus comes to your life. This is a picture of uh, a monument in Jericho. That's supposedly the tree where Zacchaeus climbed. Looks like it's been a bit damaged. <laughs> And I just thought, you know, isn't that just so like us, right? It's so like, we, we just love to institutionalize everything, right? We just, we just love to just sort of, oh, something important happened here. Let's, let's, let's build a box around it. Never mind the fact that it's a tree. I don't know how it's going to grow. The point's not even that it was a tree. The point was that it enabled people to see Jesus. And I'm sure God can use it. But I just had to laugh at that. It was probably more something like this. Just a tree. Just a tree to climb. I don't know if you understand that the act of climbing a tree for an adult man was not socially acceptable. If you want to know why, just... Ask an old man to climb a tree and 
you'll realize it's not probably the most graceful thing. No offense to those of you who are super fit and can still climb trees. If you tried to watch me climb a tree, you'd say, please don't do that. That's socially awkward. We don't, we don't need to see that. For Zacchaeus to climb the tree, he had to lay down his pride. But what I love about Zacchaeus is he made a plan to be where Jesus was. He needed to put himself in the path of Christ. Put himself in the path of Jesus. He tried, he tried to break through the crowds, but the crowds were an obstacle to him. And the crowds prevented him from seeing Jesus. And so he ran on ahead and he had, I mean, he had to think about it. He had to say, you know, I need to know where Jesus is going and I'm going to make sure that I'm out in front of this and I put myself in his path. Some of you are trying to look through the crowds. You're trying to find Jesus and all you're seeing are crowds. I'm going to encourage you today. You go where you know he's going to be. If you try to hang with the crowds all the time and you never, ever break away from the crowd, how do you expect to see Jesus? If you're constantly huddling with the people who, who are skeptical and people who are quick to put others down and are quick to define Jesus' mission rather than actually join Jesus' mission, if you're stuck with the crowds, you're not going to see Jesus. Make a plan to where he knows he's going to be. For some of you, that's gonna mean getting baptized. You say, Jonathan, how can you say that? I can say that because Jesus said that his disciples will be baptized. You know he's gonna meet you there. You know if you go undergo the waters of baptism that Jesus is going to bless that, that you're going to bear his name, and that's you stepping forth in faith. You can count on the fact if you go and meet him at that spot, you will encounter him. And it's not that it's just baptism. You encounter him in the word. You encounter him in the faithful brothers and sisters, the believers in Christ. Go where you know he's going to be. Meet him at the spot. You can't read this text without looking back a chapter. And we have here a tale of two rulers or a tale of two riches. That was a bad pastor pun. Tale of two cities. Tale of, there we go. Thank you. The groans keep me grounded. The rich young ruler. The rich young ruler, I can't even read that, glasses and all. Uh, the rich young ruler, he sought a way to inherit eternal life, but Zacchaeus, the tax collector, he sought a way to see Jesus. The rich young ruler wanted to know what to do, but the Zacchaeus, he just wanted to know who Jesus was. The rich young ruler rejected Jesus' invitation to follow. Most of us, when we think about the rich young ruler, we focus on the commands to sell everything. But that's, that's actually not it. The, the, the invitation is to follow. Jesus said, sell what you own and then follow me. That was the invitation. We just focus in on the fact that he had to lose his stuff. But he rejected Jesus' invitation to follow because he refused to release his possessions. Zacchaeus receives Jesus' hospitality and he does release it his possessions, not all of them, half of them. The rich young ruler, we're told, he went away sad. Zacchaeus, we're told, he receives Jesus with joy. Do you see the contrast developing here? The rich young ruler left the crowd confused. They watched this interaction and they said, whoa, can anybody get saved? If Jesus doesn't want the rich religious types who do all the rules and keep all those things, if Jesus doesn't want them, can anybody get to heaven? Meanwhile, Jesus' interaction with Zacchaeus left the crowd muttering and complaining, saying, can you believe this guy? Jesus' interaction with the rich young ruler prompted the question, who then can be saved? Jesus' interaction with Zacchaeus answers the question, who is a son of Abraham? Now, why does it matter? That name phrase, son of Abraham, well, it should matter. You should want to be a child of Abraham because God promised Abraham way, way back in the book of Genesis. He said, through your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. To be a child of Abraham means you have the blessing of God. It means you know God. We ought to want to be a child of Abraham. And here is this man who is a tax collector who's high up in the tax collecting system. 
He is wealthy, but he reorders his life after, after an encounter with Jesus, after receiving Jesus into his home. Next, we come to this parable where we have to reckon with King Jesus. We see here in this story, it's told, verse 11, while they're listening to this, while they're listening to Jesus say, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. While they're listening to this, Jesus goes on to tell them a parable. Why? Luke tells us, verse 11, because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. They're realizing Jesus is pretty important. They also have done their theological homework and they recognize that the King of God is going to come to Jerusalem. They know that's going to happen. Jesus is 20 Ks out and they're like, okay, surely this is happening now. And Jesus tells this very difficult parable. He says, a man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. It's a very interesting setup. Why do you have to leave, go on a journey, become appointed king, and then come back home? It's interesting. It's a bit strange to us, but it's actually not that foreign to what was going on politically at the time. You see, the, the children of the Herods, a lot of the Herods, they had to go to Rome to get Rome to authorize their authority, and then they had to go back and rule over the place that they authorized them to rule. So historically, it's a relevant example, particularly in 4 BC when a guy by the name of Archelaus had to do the same thing, except Archelaus was followed by a delegation of Jews who said, we don't want him to rule over us. And so while this is probably not exactly a specific callback to that, it's resonating in the minds of Jesus' hearers. Man of noble birth, a well-born man, went to a distant country to have himself appointed king to return. So he called 10 of his servants, gave him 10 minas. Listen to what he said. Put this money to work until I come back. He didn't say, hold on to it. He said, put it to work. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, sir, your mina has earned 10 more. Now, a mina is, it's not like a talent. Matthew tells the parable of the talents, and a talent is, is kind of a large sum of money. A mina is, it's a decent sized sum of money, but it's not a large sum of money. It's, it's a few weeks paycheck. So it's not like he's, you know, parsing out a massive inheritance here. It's enough to do something with, but, it, but, but it's not, you know, you wouldn't go home to your wife and say, honey, we hit the jackpot. I got paid in advance three weeks. <laughs> You'd say, that's great, but, you know, not life-changing money. I guess it depends on your pay packet. He sent for the servants to whom he'd given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, sir, your mina has earned 10 more, tenfold increase. Well done, my good servant. Uh, the, the, the original, it's like, great. It's kind of this exclamation of joy, great, that's really good. Because you've been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of 10 cities. Wow. You took, you know, a small amount of money and you increased it tenfold. Now I'm gonna give you 10 cities to rule over. That's a, that's a pretty... It's a pretty interesting decision. The second came and said, sir, you, your mind has earned five more. He said, you take charge of five cities. And then a, another servant, another servant came and said, sir, here's your mina. I kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you're a hard man. That word hard means exacting, punctilious for you word people. It's not hard necessarily as in cruel, although some people might argue otherwise by how this story ends, but the phrase means exacting. I knew you were a hard man. I'm going to find my place again. 
I was afraid of you because you're a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I'll judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I'm a hard man taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you put, not put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? You get the picture. The man got given his mina by the master. He got given his sum and instead of doing anything with it, he just folded it up and hid it somewhere, put it away. The master's not happy. Then he said to those standing by, take his mina away from him and give it to the one who has 10 minas. Sir, they said he already has 10. He replied, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given, but as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. The other servants are like, whoa, why aren't you giving everybody the same amount? The principle is not equal amounts. The principle is faithfulness with what has been given. Bring these people over here. Sorry, but those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king, bring them over here and kill them in front of me. Now this harsh reaction has prompted some people to say, Jesus must be setting up a contrast between the kind of king he is and the kind of king that is represented here. For a number of reasons, I don't think that's necessarily true. Not because Jesus isn't kind or Jesus isn't merciful, but because this makes the most sense of Jesus' journey, his journey to Jerusalem, his being rejected, and then his being anointed king in heaven and his return. And we know that when he comes back at the second coming, he's going to come and he will render a judgment. And that judgment will be final. And it will mean destruction. It's interesting to note, as one commentator has put it, that the only person in this story that we're told who takes out what they did not put in and reaps what they did not sow is the wicked servant. That person is the one who actually didn't make anything out of what was put forward. Jesus would suffer death and he would come back as king. I, as many of you know, have been having some challenges and some, some struggles lately, particularly with regard to my health. And I don't know why, I don't know why this tends to manifest itself um, when I stand in the pulpit to bring the word to you. And so I apologize if any of that is a distraction for you. What, what I can tell you is these matters are of utmost importance. Utmost importance. The kingdom of God has been revealed and salvation is here as Zacchaeus found out. And that salvation is available for you Salvation is available for me. The, the knowing of the kingdom of God is possible, but it comes through knowing Jesus. And this knowledge of Jesus isn't something that is meant to be sort of put in a box or set aside separately in, in a corner of your life. It is something that is meant to transform your life and will reorder your life. The way to glory is through suffering and that's the kind of king Jesus is. You see, there would be a delegation in Jerusalem that would catch up with him and say, we don't want your authority. 
they would say, you are not our king. And they would rather have a murderer than the son of God. But we know this side of the cross that resurrection power is real and that Jesus was in fact installed as God's king. And he is reigning right now. And we know his kingdom is coming and his kingdom is real. Even though we wait. So as I bring this message Oh, looks like we're stuck. You might need to help me there, Chris. There we go. I wanted to share this quote as we bring this message toward a conclusion. John Carroll in his commentary writes, he says, When God's reign confronts the powers that shape and dominate a humanly constructed world, the collision will be ferocious, and its aftershocks will continue to be felt for a very very long time. Satan would have you live in an illusion right now that there is no second coming. There is no forgiveness. There is no God. But all of that is just smoke obscuring the fact that there is going to be a collision, a ferocious, ferocious collision, a cataclysmic collision between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. Jesus embodied it spiritually. It was so strong that it required the death of the Son of God. What will it mean for the world? And so the question is have we received the king? And how do we receive the king? Here's how you receive Jesus personally. You see, <laughs> slash seek your opportunity. See or seek your opportunity. You welcome his presence. Do you know that Jesus is ready to make his home in you? In his last supper discourse with the disciples, Jesus told them, he said, it's good for you that I go because I will send the comforter. And when I send the comforter, my father and I will make our home in you. Did you know that Jesus is with you and dwelling through the Holy Spirit? Have you received his Holy Spirit? Have you welcomed his authority? You see, we, we, we can't receive his presence and not receive his authority. He is the king. One of the most frustrating things you'll ever experience in your life is to, is to recognize Jesus as your savior, but to reject him as your Lord. That, that will totally undo you. A, because it's false, but B, because Jesus can't be anything other than both. So you either have him be Lord and be your Savior, or you do not have him be Lord, and he will not be your Savior. We need to welcome his authority. We need to pledge our allegiance. We show our allegiance to him. Unlike this delegation that went after and said, we don't want you to be king. And in the time where we wait for his return, we need to steward his grace. We need to steward his grace. He's given us gifts He's given us the gospel. And he said, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. As I invite the band to come forward, I want to ask you a, a few questions. Number one, are there any sycamore trees you need to climb? Where's your sycamore tree? By that, I mean, what is the humbling thing that you have to do 
What's the thing that's, that's, that, that's just humiliating and beneath you and, and you just can't bear to do it, but you know if you do it, you'll get a glimpse of Jesus. Are there any sycamores you have to climb? The next question I want to ask you is, have you offered hospitality to Jesus? Have you said, Lord, my life is an open home to you. Please, come. Be with me. Be a guest in my life. Not just a guest, but, but receive him into your life. Because if you're just watching Jesus, imagine if Zacchaeus from the tree finally gets his meeting with Jesus. Jesus says, I must go to your house today. And Zacchaeus is like, ooh, oh, uh-uh. No. How does that story end? It ends with Zacchaeus in the sycamore tree apart from Jesus. He got a glimpse, but he didn't let him in. Maybe you're seeing Jesus very clearly, but he's saying, like he said to the church in Laodicea, behold, I stand at the door and I knock, let me in. And you need to let him in. And the last question I want to ask you today, if you've let him in and you, and, and you know him and you've seen him and you've had your encounter with him, you've welcomed him as your king, you consider yourself his slave and his servant, then my next question is, what have you done with what he's entrusted to you? What have you done with it? If it's wrapped in a cloth or if it's gathering dust somewhere, Remember, fear is not an excuse for inaction. The wicked servant said, oh, I was afraid, I was afraid I was going to do it wrong. No. You were given this, the master said, so that you could do something with it. What are you doing with what he's given you? Now, he's given some people lots and some people may seem like he's given them less. That's not the point. It's not that we all need to do the same thing or that we all need to have the same ministry or the same, the same path, but we all serve the king. What sycamores do you need to climb? Have you let him into your home? And what have you done with what he's given you? Would you stand? We're going to sing, and I encourage you, as we sing these songs, just hear the truth of God. Receive what the Spirit might be saying to you today. At the end of the day, Jesus is the only one that matters. Not these people here. Not me. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. If he's looking for you, meet him at the spot. Would you stand? Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. And the word that's used when it says he desired to see him, it's the word for quest. He was on a quest to see Jesus. And Luke beautifully uses the same word at the end. He says, the Son of Man came to quest for the lost to seek and to save. And so as Zacchaeus was just, just seeking to get a glimpse of Christ, Jesus was seeking to save him. We're going to sing that chorus again. You are perfect in all of your ways. My encouragement to you is that there is joy in the presence of the Lord. And if you know he's seeking you this morning and you need to respond to him, I invite you to come forward, sit at the front row. We'll pray with you. 
It could be responding to any of those questions. Maybe you're like, I, I need salvation to come to my house and today's going to be the day and you, you've said, I know it is today and the Lord's looking for me and I'm going to respond and I'm going to receive that invitation. Come. If you're saying, you know what, I've, I, I, I've seen him but I've been keeping him out and, and I need to reorder my life, I need to let him in, come. And, and, and maybe you're like, I just haven't been faithful with what he's given me. Come. Come forward, pray. This is a safe space. Jesus is the one that matters. I encourage you, don't leave here this morning. We'll sing that again. I'll be at the front praying. And then we'll go into a final song, which is a wonderful hymn of joy. I encourage you, if you'd like to respond to the Lord this morning, receive prayer to pray, come forward. Be happy to pray with you. Thanks, Emily. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways to us. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways to Soon.